0: There's a genre of uh, fiction called the hero's journey, probably you've, you've heard of it. The idea is that the main character or the protagonist is going about their everyday life when something happens to disturb their ordinary existence, calling, calling them to some kind of adventure. Through a series of crises, the protagonist is finally victorious and returns to their ordinary life transformed in some significant way. Everyone knows this general outline. It's one of the most common types of stories, and the examples of it are endless. One of the reasons that we find this type of story so, or this type of story so popular, is because it appeals to our own sense or our own desire for adventure. The idea of fighting dragons and coming back victorious with its hoard of gold is full of the potential for excitement and transformation. Even if the thought of meeting an actual dragon itself would fill us with dread. It's interesting how the desire for adventure plays itself out in the age of social media. In the past, especially maybe the ancient past, people predominantly listened to epic poems or the stories of their tribe, like the Iliad of Homer, for example, the Odyssey, or read books in the more modern times like The Hobbit uh, by J.R. Tolkien, and they entered imaginatively into that world that was being presented to them, becoming almost part of the story themselves, And going alongside the hero as they journeyed, they were somehow transformed in some way as they went along the story with the hero. However, now it's all too common to watch other people having some kind of an adventure on YouTube or Instagram where there's no real room for the imagination and wonder why our own lives are so dull. I recently saw a meme on uh, Facebook saying... I'm 35 and have not yet received my call to adventure, and I'm starting to worry that I'm not a protagonist. In other words, life seems to be leaving me behind, is the kind of sentiment that's being expressed there. Perhaps it's a common cry, where's my adventure, what's the story that I'm the hero of? Instead of walking alongside the hero in a story not of our choosing, we want to be the hero of our own story. I think this is also true of us Christians who often want to do something big of our own choosing for God, but isn't that just another way of saying that we want to be the hero? Today's Gospel reading is a great antidote to this way of thinking. We hear how Jesus is walking alongside the Sea of Galilee and sees Simon, Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. He calls out to them saying, follow me, and they immediately leave their nets and follow him. Likewise, going on, he sees James and John, sons of Zebedee, mending their nets in the boat, and he calls to them also. They immediately leave their father in the boat, and they follow Jesus. It's clear from the story that these four men, they already had their own story. They already had their thing going on. They're fishermen doing their thing in their life. In a very real sense, that's perhaps, I think, difficult for us to appreciate, um, given the, the times that they lived in these men gave up their own story to be a part of the only story that ultimately matters, which is the victory of Christ over death and the evil principalities and powers that enslaved human beings. As Metropolitan Basilios said about this in one of his sermons, the Lord Jesus called them, and as the Bible says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. They didn't hesitate to leave their livelihood and their lives to follow Jesus. He did not promise them riches, position, or status, He said one sentence, "'Follow me, and I will make you fishes of men.'" In saying yes to Christ, they necessarily had to say no to the things that would have tied them to their boats on the Sea of Galilee. In giving up the part of the hero in their own story to follow Christ, they found themselves in supporting roles in a drama that encompasses all of creation, visible and invisible, and has no end. Since having played their part in turning the world to follow Christ, They are now seated with Christ at the right hand of God in his kingdom, which has no end. Now what about us? Have we received this call from Christ to adventure? Of course we have, that's why we're all here. But what role do we play in the great drama of Christ's work in this world? Perhaps if we recount briefly the story of Christ's work in the world, it will be a bit clearer what our role in it is. God has always desired to have communion with the human beings he created, and out of the overflow of his love, to freely give us all that participation in his life brings. But from the very beginning, humankind has tried to get these things in its own way. In other words, humanity has always tried to write its own story with itself as the hero. As humanity has turned away from God, it was more and more stained by sin, and the created world became polluted as well. We went from the Garden of Eden to being cast out as mortal into the outside world. And then from the destruction of the world in the flood to the dispersal of the nations after the confusion of the tongues at Babel. In each case, because God's holiness burns up what is not pure, God either had to remove humanity from himself in order that humanity not be destroyed by his presence, or he had to allow the natural consequences of humanity's sin to come upon it in order to cleanse the earth. We then see that, God's, that God chose one nation through Abraham to be his people, who would be the light of the world. Meanwhile, the angels that God appointed to govern the other nations began to receive worship for themselves and enslaved those who worshipped them. As God raised this nation Israel and dwelt with them, first in the tabernacle of Moses and then in the temple of Solomon, the evil influence of these enslaved nations brought about continuous repeats of the same pattern. God allowed the people of Israel to be defeated and oppressed as a natural consequence of their sin, or they were sent into exile and removed from God's presence in order that they might be given time to repent and not be destroyed. But after the exile from Babylon, when the temple was rebuilt, God's presence did not return. Remember, in the stories of the consecration of the tabernacle and Solomon's temple, God's presence came powerfully upon both places during the consecration. When the temple was rebuilt um, after the Babylon, Babylonian exile, this did not happen to everyone's consternation. And for some hundreds of years, people were talking about what what, what had happened here. What's happening? What's going to happen? Instead, through the prophets, God said that he would no longer dwell in a temple made by hands, but would come to dwell in the hearts of those who called upon his name. In the fullness of time, Christ himself, God incarnate, came and cleansed the temple in Jerusalem, driving out the sellers of sacrificial animals and moneylenders, saying that his father's house is a house of prayer. When asked for a sign by the Jews to show his authority to do this, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Of course, he was talking about his body. He said this because, as the God-man Jesus Christ, his body was now the true temple. Moreover, having defeated death and the principalities and powers that had enslaved humankind through his death and resurrection, at Pentecost he gave us his Holy Spirit so that as we are joined to his body, each one of us would also become temples and take the presence and light of God with us everywhere that we go. So the question is, What is the condition of the temple in our hearts? We know that God's holiness either purifies or destroys. So, are we holy even as he is holy? I'm not asking the question, are we perfect? Of course, that's not possible for human beings. We know that even the greatest saints weren't perfect. But what they did do was participate in the life of the church and its sacraments in whatever way they could, continuously watching over their hearts and using the tools with the, which the church gives to cleanse their heart. Confession, almsgiving, fasting, receiving the Eucharist, reading scripture, and all of that undergirded by prayer. This is the path of holiness. The saints came from all walks of life, as do we. Our occupation, while important, is secondary to this call to holiness. And as we allow God to cleanse our hearts, we'll find that we are preaching the gospel without words, wherever we go. So, as far as, for, as, far as a call to adventure goes, how about this for a call to adventure? St. Macarius famous, is famously quoted as, as saying, "...the heart itself is but a small vessel, yet dragons are there, and there are also lions, there are poisonous beasts and all the treasures of evil. But thereto is God, the angels, the life and the kingdom, the light and the apostles, the heavenly cities and the treasuries of grace." All things are there. So let's take up our our cross, the cross of the lifelong cleansing of this place, which is full of dragons, lions, poisonous beasts, and the treasures of evil, and follow Christ as he leads us on the greatest adventure of all, which is life in his kingdom.
1: You are a metaphor.